You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Great. Hello, my name is Imani. Can you guys hear me? Hello online. Can you guys hear me? I hope so. Um, I am the pastoral intern here, and I'm just so happy that that you're here. I apologize. I... Um, have just gotten over the coronavirus, so don't give me a hug. The coronavirus, but I'm a little nasally up here, but I promise you I am safe to speak the word of God, and then I'm going to jet right out so that I don't spread my germs. So, no problem, but still safe for feasts and friends. It's going to be good. I didn't make anything, so you don't have to worry about it, and that is all. So, uh, as I said, my name is Imani, and I am Um, I am the pastoral intern here, and I have the pleasure of introducing the New Testament to everyone this morning. It has been a long two years in the Old Testament. Praise God, he is good, but we have finally arrived to the New Testament, and I get the joy of talking about genealogies this morning. Yes, no, that was exactly because that's so fun. The genealogies are so fun. But before I begin, I just want you to turn to your neighbor because I know like we're all coming off of Thanksgiving and like probably just like crazy week. So I want us to like be able to like get up and like move around and just get excited because we are, it is, it is New Testament time. So I want you to find someone that you have not talked to this morning and I want you to share something with them that, this is the question, What is something that you once found really boring or something that you really were like, "Eh," but now you absolutely love? If you can think of something. Church Church might be one of those things. So I'm going to give you guys a minute. So go talk to someone that you haven't spoken to today and let's just share something that you once found really boring, but now you now love. If you're online, you can share it with your neighbor or in the chat. All right. Three, two, one. All right. Blast off. Thank you guys for sharing. Does anyone want to share something that they shared with a person? Board games. games. Okay, that's interesting. Reading the Bible. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. The book of Exodus. Interesting. Mine is the book of Leviticus. Still find it kind of boring. Yes. So, Robin, if you can throw on that video... I have a clip, and then we're going to get started. If you guys don't know, that was a scene from Rocky Balboa. If you don't know who Rocky Balboa is, he is a real character that lives in Philadelphia. No, I'm joking. He's not real. But for a long time, my mom is a big fan of Rocky, and I was not. I thought Rocky was probably one of the most boring movies I had ever seen in my entire life. And I was watching it, like, the first couple times I watched it, I'm like, well, who is this person? And if you don't know, Rocky Balboa is a boxer. He is just, he's a regular guy. He's a man's man. He's not, he's not really book smart, but he's street smart. He's not the best boxer, but he's got a lot of heart. And a lot of the first few movies are just setting up for a very big fight that he's going to have. But... A lot of the movies start off very slow, and it leads to this big fight. And then every single movie, because there's about six movies in the franchise, every movie kind of starts off slow, and then there's this big montage like the one I just showed, and that's how you know the fight is about to happen. It's one. 
So as I kept watching these movies, I was like, wow, this is actually a really interesting story. I gave it a chance. So I was like, all right. And then every time there was a new montage, I started getting excited because I was like, oh, snap, that means the fight's coming. That means the fight's coming. And I wanted to share that today because genealogies we often tend to think are very boring. But genealogies are kind of the movie montages of the Bible because it means it's leading to something big that's about to happen. And uh, I want us to kind of take a new, fresh take on what genealogies are, because I know that when we read them, we're like, oh, now I have to read how this person begat this person, begat this person, begat this person. But I promise you, well, yeah, no, I promise you by the end of this sermon, you will look at genealogies a lot differently, and you'll be a lot more excited about them, and you will think Even though you thought they were boring, you actually might end up loving them towards the end, much like I thought Rocky was kind of boring, and I ended up loving it. And also, I just wanted an excuse to show a Rocky clip in church. So (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed it. They're all on HBO Max if you want to watch them. Anyways, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. (sighs) Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we don't want to rush this time with you. We have a precious opportunity to just be in your gaze and to celebrate the wonder that is you, Jesus. So I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you focus our attentions upon you that you just kind of rest our souls and rest our minds and rest our hearts. And I know that we've got a lot of stuff going on, you know, before service and after service, but I pray that in this time, in this moment, that we can just grasp who you are and what you're trying to say to us today, Lord. I pray that I'm able to speak clearly. I pray at the end of the day that you are glorified, Father. And I pray that, Jesus, (laughs) that you are just celebrated because you are here. The King is here. The King is here. So come and do your thing, Holy Spirit. We ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So I'm going to read through, actually, that's why. Do you guys have Bibles with us, with you? Okay, so I would like to maybe split off in like groups of two or three and uh, We're going to be reading out of Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Um, Mariana, what page number is that in the Blue Bible? 471. 471. It's page 471 in the Blue Bible if you have that. If you don't have the Blue Bible, I don't know what number it is, but it's Matthew 1. So I want everyone just to kind of look it over and uh, just for like 60 seconds, Talk to your neighbor about what you see at the first glance. 
So at first glance, when I see this, I, uh, Connie hit the nail right on the head. It's just like, there's like, it's like a family tree. Like you've just got all these people that are in it, right? But the, there's some main players that we see in here. And the, first, the very first sentence that we see, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So at first glance, when you read this, these are three names that never get skipped in anything in Israel's history. Abraham, David, and uh, you'll see later on, actually, it talks about the exile. And the exile was a, a big, big, big deal in Israel's history as well. So let's talk about Abraham for a second. Who remembers Abraham from the Old Testament? Okay, yes, we talk about him a lot. So Abraham was the person that God said, I'm going to begin my rescue plan with you and your descendants and your family. And he made what's called a covenant, which is like this super duper promise that says, I am your God and, and you are my person and your people are going to be my people and I got you no matter what. So Abraham is the father of Israel. So when Matthew comes out the get and is saying like, Jesus the Messiah, the son of Abraham, he is saying, like, this guy is the, this is where the promise is coming from. He wants the reader to go back to that initial promise. The second person that stands out is David. Who remembers David from the Old Testament? King David. King David was the greatest king to have ever ruled Israel. So if you grew up in Israel, it was like, it, there was no one better than King David. He was like the George Washington of uh, like, if yeah, of the presidents, he's like the George Washington. I'm just going to use George because he was the first one and I don't want to say anything else. So uh, he's like the George Washington of, uh, the, of Israel. So he, like, there was no king that was greater except for one. And in the Old Testament, there was, there was lots of prophecies that would, they would use David as kind of like a symbol saying like, David was the best and you guys may have experienced the best with David, but there's a better one coming because he is going to save you from your sins. He's going to rescue you. He's again, a part of this big rescue plan that I have for you. And then there's the exile. Who remembers the exile from the Old Testament? The exile was hard. <laughs> that was a hard part to preach and a hard thing just to go through. And the exile was really what represented how unfaithful Israel was. Because in this promise that God had made, he was like, if you guys are my people and I'm your God, I need you to obey me. And if you don't, I'm going to have to exile you and I'm going to have to ha have you spend some time in Babylon as a consequence. And the exile is representative of how the of how unfaithful the Lord, how unfaithful the people were to the Lord, but how faithful God still was to his people. And uh, I think there's some there's some interesting things that that kind of kind of flow out here because these are really important names in Israel's history. But so you've got royalty, you've got the father of Israel here, but you also have scandal. Because Abraham was told by God, you are going to be the father of many nations, just trust me. Abraham was super old, his wife was super old, and he was like, I am going to give you, like, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But rather than trusting God, 
he impregnated his maidservant and then had another child first before his actual promised child came, which is very scandalous. And King David, well, King David is known as God's, as the one who was God, God, the one who was after God's heart, but he also took advantage of Bathsheba. He was an adulterer, and then he murdered her husband to cover it up. Fine, rebellious and scandalous. And within the exile, you have all these names. If you read the genealogies, you have a lot of names of kings who were rebellious towards God, who were scandalous towards the Lord. And uh, again, it shows an unfaithful people, but a faithful God. And I find it very interesting because Matthew could have used any of the names here. Like there's a, there's a lot of names that he specifically chose. And I find it very interesting that he, that he wanted to choose the, the big names, but the flawed names as well. And one of the things that we can get out of the genealogy and get out of this whole story that we're getting from the Old Testament to the New Testament is that God has intentionally woven flawed humans into his ultimate plan from start to finish. Hallelujah, right? I know when I was putting this together, I was thinking about, like, myself and uh, how flawed I am, and yet God still chooses to use me. These are main players, kings, royalty, the father of nations, and they are flawed human beings. And God still said, I want you. At a second glance, if we look at the genealogies, I'm going to sit down. I don't know why I'm standing. I normally sit. Hello. All right. At a second glance, there's something at the end because a lot of people ask this question and I think it is really kind of cool. So if we go to, the, to, to verse 17, it says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. That was the question. I knew it. So a lot of people are like, what's up with the 14 generations? That is like, is that, like, was that on purpose? Is that like, was all part of God's plan? And it's actually, it's actually a really fun literary, a literary thing that, um, that Matthew does. Sorry, I have some extra notes here that don't belong to me. So what Matthew is kind of doing, he actually left out some generations on purpose. And it's a literary design. It's not a scandalous thing. A lot of people did it back in the day. But he wanted to kind of bring some congruency and bring the number 14 back to us. And I, as someone who, like, prepares sermons and, like, I'm, I'm very creative in my writing. There's sometimes where, like, I will piece together something to make it into, like, 
a congruent point. Like today, I could have shared like a thousand pages worth of notes on the genealogies, but I'm trying to make everything succinct into three. And Matthew does something very similar where he's like, I could share everything, but I really want to point back to the idea, this idea of 14, 14 generations split up in three, 14 generations split up in three. And the reason for that is because in the Hebrew language, Hebrew letters have a number assigned to them. So if you look at the screen, David and Hebrew are those three letters. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, guys. Um, David is those three letters. So the first letter is D, and that equals four. I'm pretty sure it's like a V type of thing is six. And then the other is that, is that D again, it's four. So four plus six plus four equals 14. So he is trying to symbolically and explicitly show that Jesus is that line, is that royal line of David that was promised. And if you go back again into the Old Testament, King David's reign was supposed to rule forever. So to make the claim that Jesus is this son of David is like a huge claim because this is like a huge promise to say Jesus is that link back to David. David is the key here is that link. And it's just like, it's like a fun thing. So a lot of people will make it like so serious and blah, blah, blah. It is serious, but also I think it was just Matthew's way of saying like, hey, isn't this a fun way of like showing how, how Jesus is the link back to David? So very common literary practice. That is the answer to your question, Connie. Um, and uh, so that is the pattern that is there. So that is something at the second glance, something that really shouldn't get skipped um, uh, and something that we can definitely focus on. But at a third glance, I want to I wanna, I wanna focus in on something, on people that probably should have gotten skipped in the, geno in the genealogy, but they didn't. Sorry, I'm going to go back to my notes for time's sake. The first person that I'm surprised that we didn't skip is Tamar. So Tamar is found in 3, in verse 3, where it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So if you don't know the story of Tamar, she is found in Genesis 38. And it's kind of interesting because I, I find it funny because her story and the story of, how, of the, how these descendants came about is kind of wedged in between Joseph. So if you guys don't remember, Joseph is one of the, one of the sons of Judah and he had his coat of many colors and he was the one that was sold into slavery and then he ended up bringing his family back and it's like this big story. But wedged in between there is the story of Judah and Tamar. And Tamar is Judah's, Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law and uh, she is Canaanite. And uh, she ends up, her husband ends up dying, so his son ends up dying, and there's this whole back and forth, and he was supposed to give her another son to have a child, and he doesn't. So she poses as a prostitute, and she sleeps with Judah, her father-in-law, and then has twins by him. Interesting. 
interesting that she was chosen out of all the women, first of all, that she's a woman and she was included. Second of all, that she wasn't like Sarah or Rebecca or one of the matriarchs. This is just like the daughter-in-law who posed as a prostitute and slept with Judah. What? Interesting. Another person that I'm surprised was mentioned was Rahab. Another woman, another Canaanite woman who was an actual prostitute and she helped Joshua's spies scout out the promised land by hiding them in her house. Another woman who was mentioned is Ruth. Now, Ruth was not scandalous, but she was a Moabite, so she was not Israel. She was not a part of Israel. And she chose to give up her land and her people to, father, to, to follow her mother-in-law and ended up being the great-grandmother to King David. And then Uriah's wife, also known as Bathsheba, Another scandal, she was Hittite. She was taken advantage of by David. She had a baby by David in adultery. And her husband was murdered by King David. And she eventually became the mother of King Solomon. Here we have Jesus the Messiah, the Holy One of God. But he has these foreign women in his lineage that are plagued with scandal. Now, I know for me, there's some parts of my past that I'm like, I don't know if I want the whole world to know about that. And I guarantee I'm not the only person in this room. But I find it very interesting that Matthew purposely takes out, again, women who at that time were oppressed, women who are non-Israelites, women who are scandalous, to say like, hey, this was all a part of God's plan. God has intentionally woven the oppressed, scandalous, and outsiders into his ultimate plan from start to finish. I think sometimes, especially when we have been church for a really long time, we forget that we were on the outside. God had a plan, and he, Israel was his people. He said it from the get. But he has always included the outsider, even when he honed in on Abraham, honed in on Moses, honed in on David. He has always included the outsiders. And how pious can we be sometimes, right? We're like, oh, I've known the Lord for eight and Zed years, and da 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 but I'm not going to talk to this person. No, no, no. Oh, can you believe what this person did? What about us? 
And if Jesus, if Jesus, the savior of our sins, comes from this line, not only of royalty who has scandals, but also outsiders, quote unquote, that have all these scandals, oh my goodness. Could it be that God is with us? Could he extend a grace and a love and an understanding, perhaps? So what does all this mean? Genealogies are very important. I know that Sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to read them, and I don't know if, like, I, I probably should just skip it and what, whatever. But the thing is, is that Jesus didn't just pop on the scene. Jesus has been a part of God's plan from start to finish. So I want to bring us back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. So, God creates the earth. He creates Adam and Eve. He gives Adam and Eve one, a couple jobs. He says, I want you to rule this planet with me, and I want you to not eat of the tree of good and evil. And they're like, cool. We will do one of those things. So they eat from the tree of good and evil, and at that time, Sin enters into the world. And I want to read read that because I think it's important for us to always go back. So they've eaten. So Adam and Eve, they get deceived by the serpent. They've eaten of the tree that they weren't supposed to. They find out that they're naked. They're ashamed. And then it says, when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Sin broke the transparent and open relationship that man had with God. So Adam answered and said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Sin brought shame where there shouldn't have been shame. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman... The woman you put here with me, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Sin broke the relationship between people. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And then the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate Sin ushered in evil into this, into the world. 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat of the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From Genesis 3, God had a plan for Jesus. Jesus didn't just pop on the scene. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In essence, God is saying, I'm going to bring someone who is going to do away with evil, who's going to crush evil, who's going to restore this relationship back, who's going to bring, who's going to, to stop the shame where there was no more, where there shouldn't have been shame, and who's going to restore this broken relationship. From the beginning, And then he says, I'm going, so God then begins to handpick people as a part of this plan. Genealogies are so important because it is the how, but the how to the hope. He chooses Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Tamar, Rahab, all these people to say, this is how I'm going to fulfill this promise. So I want us to close our eyes and imagine that you are growing up in Israel. Imagine knowing that God is going to send someone who is going to take away sin, take away shame, Restore relationships. And imagine that you have now made it to the reign of King David. This is the greatest reign of all time. And you know this is, oh, there's no one better than this. How can it get better? And then still having this hope that there still is someone coming that is going to restore everything to even better than this is. And then imagine losing it all. Losing your kingdom, losing your king, losing your land. But you still have the memory of your genealogies and your, and your ancestors. You still have the memory knowing that a king, a better king than David, is going to come. And you, and you hear these prophets that say, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner to the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the, sur the surviving remnant of his people. 
Imagine having a hope when there was no hope. Imagine knowing that a king was coming that was greater. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Imagine waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years you know that there's a hope. You know that something is coming. You know that something is pushing forward. You hear these names. You hear all of, you hear all of the history behind it. And just waiting. Waiting for the hope. And then, <laughs> turn it up, Dan. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of God, the son of David. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, Zerah whose mother was, was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of exile to Babylon. And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah the father of Sheatal, Sheatal the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azer, Azer the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Nathan, 
Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Jesus is here. The wait is over because hope finally has a name. Jesus. <laughs> I know, I just want to finish the song because this is so exciting. <laughs> so I'm going to stand. <clears throat> when, if you were in Israel and you started hearing this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It would, it would have been equivalent to the bum, 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 It was the grand announcement that the Messiah has finally come. So when we read the genealogies, as much as it might be painstakingly, oh my goodness, that is the grand announcement that hope is here. Because hope is here now. He is alive. Hope finally has a name. So I'm going to land. I've shared a lot of, a lot of stuff today. But I sense that there's a couple of things. And we can stand if you're able. We can stand. I feel like a lot of us might be in a season of waiting. And you might be thinking, does God hear me? Is he there? What is going on? And I want to tell you that hope has a name and that you are not forgotten. 